Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. Now, this morning, we're approaching the end of the book of James. This is not the final message, but it's almost the final message. And, and the songs we've sung this morning have, have kind of hinted at this message in various ways uh, as we went through them. But today, as we come to almost the final message in James, we come to a most controversial passage. It's controversial because it contains a directive that is found nowhere else in the scripture. It's controversial because in that unique directive, James refers to a church practice that is mentioned nowhere else in the scripture. In fact, in all his letters to the churches, the Apostle Paul never once made mention of this. He never specifies it. He never authorizes it. He never apparently practiced it himself, even in times of great duress. But James identifies it, and he makes provision for it. Now, some might say that it, that we're talking about this morning and will identify in a moment, some might say that it is perhaps a little more Jewish, than it is Gentile, a little more in the Jewish way of doing things, and that therefore it was not really passed along to the Gentile churches that the Apostle Paul established. However, controversial or not, our conviction today is that it's been preserved by the Holy Spirit in the New Testament scriptures, and that therefore it has value in helping us move on to perfection in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. This thing we're talking about is laid out in today's key scripture, and let's just see it together. James chapter 5, of course, verses 14 through 16a. And here's how it reads. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, we ask that the very Spirit of God who inspired James to write these words and then who through all the centuries has preserved these words to us, that he might open our hearts and minds to understand his purposes and your purposes in giving them. Help us to grow through the the discussion of 
these words of God this morning, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So now, let's do our best to work our way through these three verses. The passage, of course, begins with the third of James' is any one of you questions. You remember the first two? They're right in the previous verse. James says, is any one of you in trouble? We had a message talking about that. And then James says, is any one of you happy? We had a message that talked about that. We looked at both of those in some depth. And we saw how the one could grow right out of the other. We saw the last couple of weeks that trouble handled well does lead to happiness and praise. Here's now the third of James' three questions. James chapter 5, verse 4, the first part, he questions, is any one of you sick? And some element of controversy begins right there. What life condition is James identifying? He's already addressed what he calls the troubles of this life. All the troubles that that living in a fallen world can bring. He's told us how to deal with them. Talk to God. Gain biblical perspective on them. That's how you deal with troublesome times. Turn wholeheartedly and expectantly to God in prayer. James would certainly agree with the songwriter way back in the 1880s who wrote these words. Have we trials and tribulations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord. In prayer. That's exactly what we should do. And as we do so with an understanding of God's promises, we will find that our troubles do lead to fresh expressions of praise to the one who watches over us and who continually works in all things for our good. However, It seems here that James is identifying some kind of sickness that goes beyond what we would normally just call trouble. Have any of you ever been troubled by illness? Isn't it a pain in the neck sometimes to have a cold in the head? Man, it's a trouble, it's an annoyance, it's a difficulty, but it comes, it goes, and we don't make a big deal out of it, and It seems like most of our battles with bacteria and viruses fall into that category. Ordinary troubles. But here now, James pulls out of this general trouble category something else that he identifies as sickness. Sickness. So we need to start asking ourselves, what is he talking about? Why doesn't the word trouble cover it all? Well, consider with me the word that James uses here. It's used many, many times in the New Testament. In the Greek language, it was a a relatively common word for sickness. 
but it surely extends to sickness of the most drastic sort. It's the very word that Mary and Martha used when they informed Jesus of the condition their brother Lazarus was in. Remember, they sent messengers, said to the Lord, Lazarus, the one you love is sick. It was this word. As it turned out, he was only a day or so from death. In fact, he died before Jesus got there. He was sick unto death. It's the very word the Apostle Paul used in Philippians chapter 2, verse 27, to describe the condition of his fellow minister, Epaphroditus. And Paul says Epaphroditus had been sick and says he nearly died. Paul's writing back to the church where Epaphroditus came from. They were concerned about him. And Paul says, yes, he was sick. He nearly died. But God had grace upon us. And he recovered. I think we could conclude that very likely James is talking here about a most serious trouble. Sickness. Not something casual or transitory. Nothing ordinary. I would also believe that this kind of life-threatening trouble can also be of an emotional sort. There are sicknesses that are not just physical. There are sicknesses that have an emotional base. There are sicknesses that just attack our our minds and our ability to think and our ability to to just be comfortable in life. And, And it can almost bring a person to the point of despair. And so on your note sheet this morning, we have a little bit of an explanation there. It says sick, sick, desperately sick, sick of body, sick of soul. We sang this morning about one who heals our soul. Our souls can be sick unto death, not wanting to continue on another day, not seeing any hope in tomorrow, sick. A person who's unable to seek God's help alone. See, that first question that James asked, is anybody in trouble? He then says that person individually, the one in trouble, can do the thing that will help him deal with the trouble. He should pray. That means the person's capable of praying. That means the person is capable of of taking, assessing the situation he's in and coming to God to talk about his situation, father to son. James says, if, if if you're in any of the trouble that comes under this heading, you talk to God about it. You let God comfort you. You let God inform you. You let God remind you of all the things that this trouble represents. Because this trouble actually represents a testing, James says. A testing that will strengthen us. Will bring us closer to maturity and and completion in Christ. See the trouble for what it is. See the trouble for what God can do through it. 
And before you know it, you're saying, I thank God for this troublesome time. In fact, James says that too. Count it all joy when you fall into various kinds of trouble like that. So the trouble is a thing that you and I, as individuals, can understand, can identify, and can respond to, and we go to God, and it should be settled right there. Just you and me and God. But apparently, there are kinds of trouble, kinds of sickness, where a person needs help. For whatever reason, they're not capable of just going to God individually and and working it out. It's a bigger trouble than that. It's a more serious sickness than that. Lazarus couldn't go to God individually. His sisters sent to God's son, Jesus, but he died before Jesus got there. Now, we know Jesus raised him from the dead, So I'm sure Lazarus, for the rest of his life, I mean, he was a hero in his town. He was a walking example of a miracle that he would say, oh, man, I am glad Jesus didn't come and just heal me from the sickness. He raised me from death. I was a forerunner of what he himself would someday be. So that that turned out as a testimony, as a miracle, as a... A worker for God, I'm sure, until Lazarus took his last breath before he died the second time. There were people who just knew the grace of God was upon him in a very, very special way. See, he, he was in trouble beyond, though, where he could himself come and, if we could say it, work it out with God. There are troubles like that. This is a person desperately sick, sick of body, sick of soul, unable to seek God's help alone, discouraged perhaps and distraught maybe. Perhaps the result, since James enters this possibility, and perhaps the result of some unconfessed or undealt with sin. I imagine all of us, if we thought long and hard enough, if we thought back even to some things that we've done our best to just wipe out of our minds, we know there's a kind of sin. There are certain behaviors, certain sins, certain thoughts, certain actions that when we commit them, just eat away at us and eat away at us until we might even despair of life. And the last thing we think about at that time is going to God to talk about it. We're distraught. We almost feel like we're ruined emotionally, spiritually, mentally, maybe can't even think straight because this thing's just consuming us. I trust there's nothing like that going on in any of our lives at this moment. Probably one of the chances that there's not is that you're here. You're not wallowing in some terrible place all by yourself. But we got to say, this is some serious stuff. It requires a serious intervention 
left alone, it only gets worse. There's stuff like that. And it's properly called sickness. Real sickness. So this is nothing ordinary for sure. And certainly it calls for more than just an ordinary measure. James recognizes that such a circumstance can certainly arise. So what he is saying that they should do if they find themselves in such a dire circumstance, if they find themselves tormented to such a degree by illness of whatever sort that they cannot find any respite or joy in their own individual seeking out of God's goodness and grace. And to such a person, James didn't say, I know there's some of you out there. He said, if. If. It's conceivable that some of you might be in this kind of sickness, experiencing this kind of thing, Not just the ordinary sickness that comes and goes and you pass it over using whatever means you have at your disposal. But this is a capital S. Sickness that involves probably heart, soul, and body. And so here, to such a one, James says, these words we've written, this directive today, he says to such a person, he, you, should call for the elders of the church. Call for help. This is something you can't just handle on your own. Call for the elders of the church to pray over him. And he adds, and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, this directive, this is the very thing that is mentioned nowhere else in the scripture. A a specific request of the identified leaders of the church. Those scattered believers from the Jerusalem church over whom James exercised leadership. He was their chief elder. He was the leader of that entire congregation when they were in Jerusalem. And then persecution scattered them all over the Roman world. And now James, as their long-distance pastor, and still that chief elder, is telling such a one who finds himself in such a condition and who happens to be in, under the hearing or the reading of this letter that James is sending, he says, ask for help. If you are sick like that, ask for help. Recognize your condition. Be prepared, I would say, to receive insight and possible correction. This is not some ritual activity. This is not something to be made a function of the church that's done at a certain time in a certain place in a certain manner. This is not setting up a ritual. This is a personal ministry. These are men, James would say. These are men who care for your soul. They care for your soul as much as for your body. 
So let me share with you, this is not from scripture, this is me trying to open up the scripture here. Let me share with you some key diagnostic questions that might be asked by men of the church, leaders of the church who come to try to minister to someone who is in such a desperate shape. These are some key diagnostic questions that those who are afflicted of body or soul might well ask themselves before they make the request. You see, if we're in a condition where we can ask those questions clearly to ourselves and can ask the Holy Spirit to give us answers concerning them, we probably don't need to bring in anyone else. If we can do that, our trouble is not at the level that, that we require outside help. The Spirit of God, if he can guide us through, if we're still in good enough shape to be guided through and drawn to the Father and receive the kinds of ministries from the Spirit himself, then uh, I would say try that first. Here's some of the questions, though that someone might ask, how did you get this way? Dire situations never happen immediately. Unless you're in a car accident and pretty much every bone of your body's been broken. That's not a sickness. That's that's an event. But these kinds of soul-body sicknesses don't usually just happen overnight. How did you get this way? How did I get this way? Are there any foolish or careless behaviors that have led to this condition? Are you willing to make alterations? You know, there are people all the time who are practically sick unto death who absolutely refuse to change the very thing that's making them sick. Are you willing to make alterations? Will you follow counsel? Is there anything with which you are battling spiritually? You know, to use a term, that the Spirit of God has a bone to pick with you, and and you are just letting it fester. You're letting it be there. You're you're shutting out his voice. Is there anything with which you are battling spiritually? Is there any unconfessed, undealt with sin in your life? Could it be that sin is causing this or has caused this? Things that are just harmful in every way. And yet there they are. And you've never dealt with them. You've never gone to God and confessed them, asked forgiveness, received some new insight concerning how your life might be different. So I ask, do those those questions sound familiar? Let me ask you, aren't they the very questions that should run through our minds before we take communion? When Paul says to the church in Corinth, Let a man examine himself before he takes the bread and the cup. 
And we always say that examination keeps us from falling into a bad spot spiritually and maybe physically. Didn't Paul come right out there and say that a cavalier and a non-reflective attitude toward communion had brought some people in the church at Corinth to a point of weakness and sickness, he says, and some have even died. We can be our own worst enemy, physically, spiritually. We need to examine whether we're killing ourselves in any way. See, those are questions to keep before us at all times, but especially they should come up if we find ourselves in such an extreme personal circumstance. Now, having laid out the, the procedure and anticipating that it has been followed by all parties involved, James then confidently says this. Verse 15. Now, the prayer offered in faith, offered by the elders who have done their best to provide counsel and encouragement and whatever to the person who is is really suffering greatly from whatever the circumstance, the prayer offered in faith then will make the sick person well. Or we could say we'll save him from the circumstance and the Lord will raise him up. And... If he has sinned, if that's the problem, and he sought this kind of solution, he will be forgiven. He will be restored to a a fellowship that strengthens and blesses and encourages him and, and God as well. The Lord will raise him up. Now, that's just a, a flat out promise. Now, you and I, we have to understand that doesn't necessarily mean immediately. Jesus laid in the tomb for three days. There are times God is in the process of raising people up, little by little by little, allowing his grace to slowly work through some of the things that are part of that person. Even physically, there may be a a turnaround that that works itself through. But James is saying God will raise him up when these things have happened. I would say this is a resurrection that raises the believer from any grave of consequence into which he has fallen. It's a prayer of faith in a faithful God. It's a prayer of faith that almost becomes a a certainty to the one who prays it and hopefully a certainty to the one for whom it is prayed. And then it's like, and begin to see the resurrection work out. Begin to see it. Any sins that he has recognized and confessed have surely been forgiven their damaging effect addressed by God himself. And then, having given all of this as a focus on an individual, a person who is sick to this degree, 
a person who is struggling to this degree, who calls for help and finds the leaders of the church willing to help and to counsel and to pray and to believe in that prayer. Now in verse 16, James says this, Therefore, now he's talking to everybody, all of us, Therefore, in light of what he has already said and the promise he's already given and the result that he already sees this prayer of faith in the environment as we've discussed it being offered, he says, therefore, I could almost add in there, before you get in such a bad shape, therefore, go... I would say, go and do likewise. Apply this to your lives. Therefore, he says, all of you who are reading my letter, all of you who belong to the Lord, all of you confess your sins to each other. See, he kind of assumed that every believer has some sins. What did James know? We're 2,000 years later. We've been following Christ. The church has for almost 2,000 years. Some of us have been in the church almost since we were born. It's like, well, I'm glad we're done with that sin thing. See, James was talking to the people of his own day. They were rookies in this faith. It's been passed down and down and down and down to us. We don't sin anymore, do we? Okay, so what do you do when you do it? James says, therefore, based upon this extreme example I'm giving you, you all confess the sins that you have. And the first person who says, I don't have any. Boy, now there's something that needs to be worked on. That might require the deacons coming or the elders coming to say, we need to sit down and have a talk with you. It's been reported that you have confessed you are sinless And in a sense, anybody in the church can just model you and they'll be fine. No. Confess your sins, the ones we know you all have. James himself had them. Therefore, confess your sins where? To each other. It's part of a church ministry. The other is a church ministry. The elders of the church are coming to be the church to this individual and to bring blessing and grace and hope and help. Here, every member of the church is to be a minister to every other member of the church or at least be at the ready for that. So, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you will be healed. I put here from the effect of those unconfessed sins. Sins that are not confessed. And is James kind of suggesting that it's easier to confess to God than it is to another person? Oh God, forgive me if I've done anything wrong. Ah, that can be a prayer you repeat all the time. When you go face to face with somebody and say, yeah, I just, do you have a minute? And this is one to one. We're not going to have a confession service here at the church. Like right now. 
These are one of those things that can't be done in a group. It's not appropriate. Some people will hear things they should have never heard. They're not part of the solution. This is a one-on-one -on -one kind of Christian-to-Christian -Christian ministry. This is one of those one-another verses in the New Testament that requires a fellowship that is more personal and intimate than we can experience on a Sunday morning like this. That's why our church focuses on trying to get as many of you as we can into cell groups, groups of eight to ten people that really come to know each other, trust each other, and can unburden themselves to one another. At the very least, every believer needs to have one person they can do that with. Someone that they, that they remain accountable to and with. To say, I've just got to confess something. I, I've got to get this off my heart, off my mind. I've, I've confessed it to God, and, but you know, it was actually a sin against you. So I've, I've got to say this. That, that admits that it's so. It admits that I have a brokenness about me in this regard. It admits that I need someone praying for me and with me, that I might follow Christ more faithfully. And it starts by being honest. Confess your sins to each other. So much easier to do in front of somebody that, that you have a heart-to-heart -heart relationship with. We might all ask ourselves, is there anybody in my life who feels completely comfortable confessing their sins to me? Am I that kind of person? Is there anyone in my life that I feel completely comfortable confessing my sins to? Do I have any relationship like that? Because in the body of Christ there needs to be. There needs to be. Whether it's just one person. I've certainly experienced situations over these many years where we're in a cell group. A group that's truly a, a little church family. Where there can be admission of failure. Admission of wrong. Where people can say, I need you to pray for me. You know, I have this thing in my life. It might regard a family member. It might regard a business situation. It might regard just a, a thought, a deed, a something. I've got this thing that, that I just need to, to get out in the open. I need to be accountable, maybe. I just need to know that you know. And I'm asking if you'll pray for me. And keep me confident that God forgives me for that. See, that's, that's all part of this ministry that, that grows out of what James is talking of here, confessing to one another. So let's just come to our final thought. A couple of thoughts there, but here's the first one. Sin always brings sickness of one form or another. Confession is God's prescribed medicine for such sickness. 
That's just between us and God. You can go to your doctor all by yourself. You don't need to take your church family with you. And they get in on all the ins and outs of everything he sees and feels and, and, and tells you. No, that's a one-to-one -one thing. The sooner we recognize that, that we have sinned, the less damage that sin will do. But recognizing it means confessing it, being open about it, honest with God. And ask for his cleansing and forgiveness. We know Jesus died for all of our sins. They're already forgiven. God sees us as being sinless. But the Holy Spirit who walks with us can be in agony frequently. The Father considers us sinless. The Holy Spirit knows we're not there yet in reality. And so with the Spirit, we need to be honest. I know that was wrong. I know that was evil. I know that was way short of what I ought to be. I confess that and I, I repent of it. And healing comes. Healing comes. Now we say this, sickness is always the result of sin. You know, before Adam and Eve sinned, they didn't even have a sniffle. Sickness is always the result of sin. Either sin in the world that is filled with things that can make us sick or sin in our heart, the kind of fallen nature that gets us to do stuff that displeases God. Both of those, sin in the world and sin in my heart, will create some form of sickness in me. You just cannot sin and get away with it. Very few people can live in this world and get away with it. Never breathe any of its bad stuff in. Never be affected by, by the things that go on in this world. And whenever sickness is in our life, it's because this world and I myself am not what God originally created, either the world or man to be. Sometimes sickness is the result of both. As a result of living in a fallen world, I do bad things. And now there's sickness in the world and there's sickness or sin in the world and there's sin in me. So we need to be, those diagnostic questions have to come along. We need to know when we're troubled, when we are sick in one way or another. So we say learning to handle sickness will definitely accelerate one's progress on to perfection. And so here we have James giving us a directive that's found nowhere else. But it's a directive that, that can be helpful. It's a directive that when push comes to shove and there's pretty desperate times, these are one of the things the word of God says, call upon the leaders of your church to come and support you to question you, to let you know they want the very best for you spiritually, physically, in every way, and you call upon them and, and they will be there for you. If you're in a situation where you need that, the first situation is trouble comes, turn to God. Turn to God. 
If you're so sick, so troubled, so distressed, you can't even see yourself doing that with a... Then call upon others who will turn to God on your behalf and will pray for you. Oh, God bless you. I would wish we could go the rest of our lives with no sickness at all. That all of us will live from this day to the day we take our last breath, as it were, in perfect health. Almost like the world and all of its diseases doesn't exist. But there's a pretty good chance we won't. I would hope that every one of us could go from this day forward to the day we take our last breath with not a single spiritual sickness experienced. Nothing that our own sin has brought to us. But there's a good chance we won't. I think the lesson from James is don't let it get so bad that you can't even turn to God on your own. You turn to God right away. We're going to be talking about that all the time. We do talk about that all the time. Every Sunday morning in our prayer time, we're we're asking ourselves to turn to God with it. Turn to God with it. And if you're able to raise your head and turn to God, then you're not at that desperately sick point. You're still functioning. And God is all you need. But if it comes to the other, we will stand with you as a church and seek to help you and seek to encourage you and to bring you back from whatever chasm you're about to fall into, back from the brink. Oh, Heavenly Father, living in this world is serious stuff. Forgive us when we trivialize it. Forgive us when we discount it. Forgive us when we see the things and hear the things and, and are tempted by the things that, that we consider to be not very important. And yet they begin to work sickness in us. They begin to, to lessen our commitment to you and our contact with your spirit and our openness to your word. And Father, those little things add up until there can be a believer who's almost isolated from it all, truly sick, truly incapable of functioning as a child of God. Father, we don't want that. We want each one in this congregation spiritually strong enough that when the battle begins, whenever trouble descends, whenever sickness strikes, that they turn to you with all the vigor that their heart and soul can muster. And you will be who you are. You will be faithful and true and loving and kind and forgiving. And we praise you for that. May we live in a spirit of joy endlessly. 
for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.